This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 132, Nervous System Informed Trauma-Sensitive Yoga. Have you been wondering how the nervous system can inform your practice or your teachings? With our series of episodes on stress and the nervous system, I'm sure you've learned a bunch of new things. And if you haven't listened yet, you can go back to episode 117, Understanding Your Stress, episode 121, Nervous System 101, and episode 128, Tools to Regulate the Nervous System. Today, we're narrowing our focus down and talking about how to use this knowledge that you have now on the nervous system, thanks to those three episodes, to teach while staying aware of people's potential traumas in the room, or how we can practice for ourselves, honoring that we might need a little bit more of a therapeutic approach. So for today's episode, I sat down with Joanne Lutz. Joanne is a licensed psychotherapist and certified yoga therapist and instructor. She is also a pioneer in integrating Raja Yoga with polyvagal theory and other neuroscience breakthroughs. She is the author of the book Trauma Healing in the Yoga Zone and offers continuing education courses based on the book, which describes her original model of nervous system-informed trauma-sensitive yoga. I would really love to read your takeaways on today's episode, so as you listen, take a screenshot of the episode and share one of your takeaways on Instagram, tagging at on and off your Mac podcast. I will of course reshare you, but the idea is that everybody can read your takeaways and we can go deeper together in the content of each episode and we can learn together as a community. All right, let's get to today's episode with Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to be here. So for listeners that don't know you very well or don't know you at all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your yoga journey? Sure. It was 1970. I was graduating college and my world fell apart. I ended up with a depression, which Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what it was. I had never had any problems before like that. So uh, I was searching and a book fell into my lap. Of course, it was about yoga. And I vowed to start doing it as soon as possible, which I did. And I also got into the mental health system, unfortunately, because I didn't know anything, you know about what to do. And I found the yoga was a tremendous help to me. I recovered quickly and I kept doing the yoga. I've been doing it ever since. You know, I wanted to know what was it about the yoga that was so healing for me? Mm. And also what was it about the mental health system that was so difficult? I was on a quest. So I ended up being a social worker and then a psychotherapist and then a trauma therapist. I was trained in yoga in 1980. I was certified as a yoga teacher. So I had that, you know, with me all along. So I was always interested in a spiritual approach to healing and things accelerated for me. You know, around the early 2000s, I learned that there was a training program in Boston for psychotherapists and yoga teachers given by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk and his staff on trauma-sensitive yoga. And I felt that that gave me permission to bring yoga into my work, which I had always wanted to do. Mm. You know, I'd like it to be recognized as a legitimate approach. I'm not much of a rebel. So I realized that my opportunity had come. I took that training with all my years of practice and healing myself. I knew I could give my own training, which I have been doing. So I've been thinking about this for a long time. So the end result was a a book, wrote it down, wrote everything down Mm -hmm. that I had. Yeah. So it's for, you know, it's for sale 
people now. Trauma healing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Congratulations. But, but thank you. But, you know, it's a heart quest that I've been on. It's not a commercial quest. Sure. When you look back, what was it about the yoga that was so healing for you? Hmm. Well, I didn't have the words, but to be move slowly, to have energy spread throughout my body, to have my own a private practice. I think that I centered myself, you know, depression and the confusion fell away. Hmm. You mentioned your book. I'm sorry, were you done? <laughs> well, just that's, that's what I understood at the time. I understand a lot more now. Ah, uh, do you want to add something from your now perspective? Well, that's going to bring me way into our okay. talk. Okay, so. so let's put a pause on that and we'll come back to it. You mentioned your book, Trauma Healing in the Yoga Zone. And in that book, you talk about the difference between yoga for spiritual development and therapeutic yoga. And that was a big aha for me. And I'm sure it will be for a lot of people that read this book. Can we talk about the difference between those two things? Sure. Yeah, I think that, you know, yoga has developed quite diversely in the United States. There's all kinds of yoga now. There's mm -hmm. all goals. And it was never really clear to me exactly what yoga was, even starting it so many years ago. I just knew the effect on me. I actually went to India in 1985 to try to find out the secrets of yoga. Mm. And, you know, I came up with a little bit. Maybe I'll save that for the end of the interview here. But I did about reading for about 10 years trying to uncover the secrets of yoga. And there was a lot that my own yoga master, Swami Satchidananda, never told us. He selected whatever he wanted us to know for whatever sure. reason. So I filled in the gaps. So the way I've determined there are three major categories of yoga with different goals. One of them is spiritual development. One of them is physical development. And the third one is yoga as therapy. And I think there is still some confusion, as you said. In spiritual development, there's an emphasis working with the energy of the body. You know, it's called prana, and it moves in specific pathways. And in these spiritual practices, there is a conscious effort to change the direction of the flow so that the prana that normally moves upward can be controlled and turned around so that it starts moving downward in the body. Mm -hmm. And there's another kind of prana that moves downward. And in the breathing practices and the uh, locks, there's an emphasis on turning that energy around and moving it up. And then these energies meet in the solar plexus area. And there are specific cleansing practices that intensify that energy, such mm -hmm. as, you know, Kabbalah Bhati and Uriyana Banda. And then that energy in a concentrated form can then go up the spine, up the subtle spine, the Shashimna to the top of the head and change our consciousness as it goes. So that to me, if I had to say it in a nutshell, that is a nutshell about what spiritual development is in yoga. And in India, it was a very serious practice. It was practiced by people who devoted their life to this goal. They mm -hmm. had a certain kind of diet. They had a certain kind of lifestyle. And they most always had a teacher. They weren't doing it alone. And that's a beautiful path. But Part of the purpose of the breathing practices 
and some of the postures is to heat the body because mm-hmm. there is a belief that if you heat the body and get the energy moving faster, that it will break through blocks more easily, you know, lead to a kind of freedom of consciousness, you know, expanded consciousness. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I would describe it. As I mentioned, there are specific practices that we tend to do that. One of them is the bandhas, which are it's, it's Sanskrit for the locks, and they mm-hmm. lock various energies in different parts of the body. You, you may be familiar with them. Mm-hmm. And, I love them. Yeah. And then there is breath retention. That's an important part of this spiritual you know, practice of yoga. Because when you hold the breath, you're also changing the flow of the prana, either at the top of the inhale or the bottom of the exhale. And so, as I said, traditionally, these practices were done by people who had committed their life to spiritual development. You know, I was introduced to them very gradually. Mm -hmm. Swami Chisanda was, you know, I, I think he was a very moderate person. He believed in you know, organic growth. There are some other yoga schools that kind of push it, you know, and of course this <laughs> has to do with the Kundalini rising. I don't know how much detail to get into because it's not even what I'm really here to talk about. You know, but I think maybe that's enough about that. So let's say that there's a yoga class or a yoga school that is without really articulating it, they are following the model of spiritual development, which my training was. Mm-hmm. And then Someone comes in a class or numbers, a lot of people come into classes and they've been through trauma, you know, emotional, physical, and they are feeling insecure and they may have some kind of physical weakness that they don't know about. And practicing that kind of yoga is not helpful. You know, if for someone who's healthy and vital, it's Yeah, it's going to be super triggering if you're already in a very sensitive space. Right, right. So some people do get kind of blown out from various types of yoga practices and classes. You know, I live sort of halfway in between two major meditation centers here in Western Massachusetts. And I've heard lots of stories of people going to the emergency room in ambulances from very intense meditation retreats. So it it does happen, although it's not that common. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think in these practices, there's a goal of pushing out of the comfort zone in a way that is not appropriate if you're arriving to your mat with trauma and like different, you know, levels of trauma. But I think in the spiritual type practice, it's all about pushing out of that comfort zone to create that shift. It's not just the heat that you mentioned, but like making that effort to get out, to do the thing that's uncomfortable, to do the thing that's difficult, even the physical, you know, focused practice. And then when you get into trauma, it can't be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it could be dangerous or it just could be, you know, a person's health could begin to unravel mm-hmm. slowly. Uh, fortunately, the kind of yoga that I fell into was a very, as I said, a very gentle, gradual kind. So I could use it for my healing, even though at that time, there really was no such thing as an official yoga therapy profession. Mm -hmm. There were no yoga therapy schools, you know, yoga therapy has come a long way. So that's what I more or less what I have to say about that question about what the difference is. And so I, I know, actually, I want to say a little bit more. 
I now, you know, I've been a psychotherapist for many years too. And I began to study body oriented psychotherapy, somatic psychotherapy. And I took a training in somatic experiencing. And I've also an EMDR. And I began to learn that having a regulated autonomic nervous system was the goal of these approaches to therapy. Because Mm -hmm. if someone, you know, if someone is anxious or panicky, which means that they're sympathetic nervous system is too activated Mm -hmm. or if they're lethargic and, you know, depressed. Lapsed. Yeah. Yeah. It means that that branch of the parasympathetic nervous system is not balanced. And in that state, person can't really learn. They can't grow and change because in order to be present, that nervous system has to be balanced. And it works in reverse also that if someone is present, then their nervous system starts to regulate itself automatically. And that to me is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, we have such a beautiful instrument here to you know, help us to heal, you know, and then go on to do whatever we want to do. So I have studied yoga as a vehicle for balancing the autonomic nervous system as a bottom line. And then once someone's system is balanced or they have the tools to rebalance it when they need to, then they can go on if they want to, to more spiritually oriented yoga. But you've got to have that stability, that grounding first. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. mm -hmm. I've seen that written in some schools of yoga's, school of yoga's programs. I have seen that. So. It's not entirely my theory, although, you know, I'm proud proud of having a theory. So what I did is I looked at the basic yoga postures and the breathing practices and the relaxation, you know, yoga nidra in particular, and the meditation. And I started to analyze the effect of each of them on the autonomic nervous system. And polyvagal theory helped me a lot with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if, you know, if people are familiar with it, but if they listen to the podcast, they are, we've talked quite oh, a right. bit. We talk right. about the nervous system quite a bit. We have a full episode that talks about polyvagal theory, episode 121. Guys, if you feel like you need a refresher, nervous system 101. So go check that oh, out. Oh, good. I don't have to explain the whole thing then. <laughs> I mean, a refresher is always good, but like, we don't uh, need to go into the details. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if so, if any of you are not familiar with it, you can go to those podcasts and get a wonderful education. But let's just say that, you know, there's a hierarchy of our nervous system will, if it feels in danger, it'll go into a fight or flight state of high arousal. And then if it can escape or fight, it goes back into balance. But if it can't, for some reason, then the eventually through the action of the vagus nerve, some body systems start to shut down. Mm -hmm. And that has a survival purpose because if we use up less energy and we don't move, so we're not as visible, we have a better chance of surviving. surviving. Mm -hmm. And that's true in the animal kingdom too. So I analyzed the postures and of course I've been doing some of them for many, many years. And I also had a, a felt sense of what effect they had on me. So for example, 
the sun salutation, you know, the one I learned a traditional form or 12 movements, expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction, it's sort of back and forth. Mm -hmm. And that relates to the autonomic nervous system, where when we're expanding and holding ourselves um, up and straight and proud and looking out, we're using the sympathetic nervous system in it's the way activating. it's activating. Yeah. It gives us the energy and the focus to do that. And then when we, let's say from a back bend, we go into a full forward bend, then all of a sudden our muscles are relaxing. Our focus goes inward. Our breath slows down probably because it's a, it has an entirely different effect on the nervous system. So in the sun salutation, we're continually going back and forth from sympathetic to parasympathetic, sympathetic, parasympathetic. And that's like a gentle little workout for our autonomic mm -hmm. nervous system. And it, for a person who's just mildly dysregulated, it will regulate it, you know, and then they can do anything. You know? <laughs> yeah, it brings so, them back into balance. Right. It's the alternation between these different kinds of movements that will cause that. And, and then, of course, there's breathing that goes along with the movements so that you inhale when you're stretching up and you exhale when you're folding over. And the breath is finely tuned to the autonomic nervous system also. Yeah, clearly. So, yeah. So that when you take a deep inhale, you're compressing the, the uh, vagus nerve and sending a message of energy to the brain. It's, so it's an energizing uh, phase of the breath when you're inhaling. When you're exhaling, just the opposite message goes to the brain. It's time to relax. And this pattern shows up in the heartbeat also. It's called, you know, called uh, heart rate variability. So it shows up in many rhythms in the body. So those are the rhythms that start to become regular when there's practices done that honor and follow the wisdom of the autonomic nervous system. So would you say that trauma-informed practice, their main goal is to regulate the nervous system, to balance those two aspects and learn to go back and forth between the two? Would that like describe these kind of practices as well? Would you add something? Well, the most important aspect of polyvagal theory is to promote safety for the client or the student. And so that could involve like Dr. David Emerson in his work, he was one of the people who developed trauma-sensitive yoga. He suggested that the yoga therapist be well-prepared, be on time, be smiling, or the yoga teacher. Be dressed modestly, have a soothing tone of voice. There are all of these suggestions. Now, I'm not sure that David Emerson knew that at the time, but these are aspects of a regulated polyvagal system. Yeah, of your ventral vagal. Yeah, part of the vagus nerve innervates all of the muscles of the face, hearing, mm -hmm. the sound of the voice, the gaze in the eyes. So when a person is welcoming, they're using that ventral vagus. They to, are in that space. Yeah, that's right. So it's all about the vagus nerve, even though it's not described that way in some, in a lot of trauma-sensitive programs and theories. So in that way, uh, there all of the trauma-sensitive approaches focus on safety, but they don't necessarily know polyvagal theory. And so what I wanted to do was go a little farther with it mm -hmm. and, and name 
exactly how each posture is influencing the vagus nerve and then the autonomic nervous system in general. And so what happens in our experience of trauma when we learn to regulate our nervous system and to modulate our responses? Yeah. Well, what happens to the trauma, you're saying? I mean, to our experience of it, like the sensitivity we might have, the reactivity we might have, like what happens to those symptoms yeah. of trauma that we... Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, I think there's still a lot of work to do, even if one knows these practices. If one gets, for some reason, feels unsafe and gets into one of those dysregulated states, the best way to come back into balance is to be in the company of someone who's regulated. But if that's not possible, then there's a whole catalog of different yogic practices that a person can learn and use. But I think that depending on the nature of the trauma and the resiliency of the person, they may need to go to a professional trauma therapist. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but because if they have learned how to regulate their nervous system, then they have a solid basis of security from which they can do the trauma work much more successfully because that requires a lot of safety and trust. Yeah, if you don't feel safe, you're it's not going to move nothing is going to shift. You're going to continue to armor yourself and protect yourself and no change can happen in that position. Yeah, so I think someone who's been through a lot can use this approach to get themselves into a regulated state to go into a therapist's office and do the work mm. you know, of revisiting the, the body sensations or the actual traumas, depending on what's available. Mm-hmm. So it, they can prepare themselves for, quote unquote, digging deep with the support of the therapist. And so how can they, you talked about some practices. Can you give examples of like how we can use yoga to regulate ourselves? other than we've talked about the forward fold, we talked about, you know, the longer exhale or that focus on the exhale. Where do we start if we want to integrate a little bit more practices to regulate our nervous system in the goal of mm-hmm. healing eventually some traumatic experience we've had? Yeah. Well, I identified different elements that I think are very powerful Mm -hmm. in regulating the nervous system. For example, the backward bending poses, you know, there's not many of them, but they all have a similar effect where a person has to use their muscular strength. They have to hold their spine in a certain position, which requires energy. They generally have an outward focus. And so if a person is depressed, then that would be a good choice because they can use any of the backward bending poses and they will sort of lift their energy, Mm -hmm. activate the sympathetic branch a little bit. And conversely, if someone is anxious, then they can do a forward bending pose. Again, there's many of them. In my approach, it doesn't matter which pose you choose. It's the principle underneath The orientation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is important. So a person can choose whatever's comfortable for them or which ones they like the best, and then practice that. And then there's also, you know, bilateral poses, which bring a person more toward regulation. Because if you twist to the right, you know, like in a half spinal twist, you're raising sympathetic activity just a little bit because the right side of the body is associated with that. And then if you then do the same pose to the left side, 
you're regulating the parasympathetic. So eventually, as you keep doing this, both branches can become regulated. And there's actually research on a lot of this, a lot of what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. There's one researcher, Shirley Tellez, T-E-L-L-E-S, who is from Haridwar, India. And she's going through the ancient texts, noticing what they recommend, you know, such as, you know, breathing through the left nostril or the right nostril, et cetera. There's a lot of different recommendations. And she's creating scientific experiments to determine Mm. if they really have the effect that the ancients said they would have. And she's had some- Super interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, she has about 200 published scientific studies now. And a lot of them are proving physiologically what the ancients were teaching. So anyway, so there's the yoga postures. I outline it, you know, in my work, in my articles and in the book. And then there's the breathing practices. It's the same kind of thing. I don't know how much time we have left, but, you know, I could talk about those. Can give an example or two. We have time. Okay. All right. Well, there's alternate nostril breathing is a wonderful practice. Balancing. Mm -hmm. Balancing, right. You know, I guess people probably know that you block off one nostril and then you inhale through the other slowly and deeply, and then you block that one off, exhale and inhale through the other nostril, block that one off, and slowly and deeply, you go back and forth. You know, there's more to this that I'm not telling you about, (laughs) about the subtle energy system and how it's attached to the nostrils. But I don't think there's time for everything right now. And also in all of these yoga poses, you know, the presence of mind is just as important as the shape of the pose or the pace of the pose. Because if someone's doing alternate nostril breathing and they're thinking about, you know, whatever that, you know, Their the to-do example, list, yeah. right, what they're going to have for dinner, then it's really not going to have that much of an effect on their autonomic nervous system. And that's, I think that's one reason why the present moment focus is so emphasized in yoga versus exercise. Yeah. I mean, that presence allows you to connect to the sensation of the body more. And we're talking about subtle things, right? So for you to start to notice if what you're doing is having an impact or not, and to feel the shift, you need to be present and listening to the little things that are starting to shift in your body. And that is very important. Like if you're just doing it mechanically to do it and you're like, okay, done, I've checked it off my list. It's not going to have the same impact as if you do it less, but you're more present with it. You're more embodying the practice. You're really Mm -hmm. in your body when you do it. Yeah. Thank you. I like the way you said that because it's really ultimately about how our prana is flowing, that energy in the body. And when we're thinking, the prana is kind of wild, depending on the thoughts, you know, like thinking about the to-do list, like a person is actually disturbing their energy flow while they're doing it. And so that is counterproductive to what we're trying to do with the breathing practices. Because when the, mm-hmm. it's when the mind is quiet, that the prana is flowing in a most helpful way. So grounding practices too would be helpful in this case. Anything that will help you quiet your mind a little bit, slow down the craziness of the thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And that's almost like a lifetime process. You know, I feel optimistic though, because it's good to know that that's a goal. You know, that's a goal for any kind of yoga, therapeutic yoga, spiritual development, you know, 
to have a calm mind and to slow down and to focus on what the person is doing. I think cognitive science and neuroscience has come to the same conclusions. That's how the brain changes. If we're just doing one thing at a time and focusing on it, we can, you know, use that neuroplasticity to recreate ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we talked about the physical, the breath, and a few other things, but in the title of your book, your book is called Trauma Healing in the Yoga Zone. What is in that zone? Like, I feel like there's probably a little bit more than what we have mentioned. Like, what happens in this zone? Yeah. Well, there's this chart that I have in the book that I, you know, it's hard to talk about the whole thing, but like I mentioned that there's kind of a oscillation between sympathetic and parasympathetic. So mm-hmm. it's a natural flow. So we're constantly going back and forth in a healthy person, a little bit of sympathetic arousal on the inhale, this parasympathetic relaxation on the exhale goes on and on and on. And that's what happens in the yoga zone. That's the, in contrast, if the arousal goes way above, if it turns jagged and it's not a lovely sine curve anymore, then we're outside of the yoga zone and we have to you know, use therapeutic techniques to bring the arousal back into this regulated zone where it's a smooth flow. So that's what I refer to. Mm-hmm. So similar to our window of tolerance. It's, it is the window of tolerance. I just okay. changed Just for people name. that have nerd that, that heard that word, so they know that that's what we're talking about. Good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because window of tolerance, I thought, was a little bit cold. It's kind of a mm. scientific yeah. way of describing it. So I wanted to feature yoga instead. I mean, it, it's like the state of yoga, right? It's the zone of our, you know energy and system where we're in a state that resembles the state of yoga, which is an interesting way to put it. I've also heard window of dignity, which I thought was less cold than window of tolerance. And it was not quite about what you can tolerate, like I'm okay with this, what brings the dignity to myself and to my energy and my body. And so like, it's a little bit more loving than what you're able to tolerate. Right. Yeah. So there's so many ways that people talk about it, but yeah. I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, I like that window of dignity. <laughs> but I'm still I'm calling it the Sweet. yoga zone. Yeah, of course, of course, love for my, it for my own. It's fun for me to to change the name and use that instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else you want to add before we finish? If there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave with today, what would that be? Hmm. Well, just what I've already said. This requires a little bit of a shift in our whole culture, I think, mm-hmm. you know, to value our physical body, to take the time to take care of it, to, you know, engage in a regular practice of some kind. If it's yoga, that's great. But it seems like all of the Eastern meditative movement traditions have the same effect. Mm-hmm. But this is the one that I know. So to practice it, be in nature, try to have a good diet. It's traditionally what is described in the ancient yoga texts, really. You know, just really value, value this feeling of ease. Hmm. Yeah, when you value it, you're going to take steps to experience it, to create it, to cultivate it in your life. Yeah. 
Hmm. Lovely. I will put all your info in the show notes, but in the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you if they want to ask questions, they want to work with you in some way, or they want to get your book? Hmm. Well, I have a website. I actually have different names for it, but you can find it at www.traumahealinginthiyogazone.com. Perfect. And there I have a blog. I write about my experience. I post information about free talks and courses and things like that. That's the best place to go. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you listen. Come and connect with us on Instagram at on and off your mat podcast. Screenshot you listening to this episode with your takeaways. Check out our membership platform to become a premium member and get your hands on all our exclusive content, including our class library. You can find the show notes for this episode at ericabelanger.com slash 132. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for the support in making this possible, and that includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time.